Now, Talk Zone presents Two Guys and a Mic, your mid-morning break sports talk show. It's a passionate yet lighthearted look at the world of sports, featuring the coach, John Cohn, and the big dog, Joel Radwanski. They'll recap the games from yesterday, look ahead to the matchups tonight, and cover a lot more in between. Now, Two Guys and a Mic on TalkZone.com. You are incorrect, Mr. Announcer Man. Not the coach of the Big Dog today. The Big Dog will be out. Coach, that's me flying solo for the 58 minutes and 24 seconds that they allow us to be on the air. Welcome, everybody. Two guys at a mic. TalkZone.com. Thank you so much for joining us. Beautiful midweek Wednesday. Lots of sports to talk about. We will jump uh, rather eminently off of the sports page today and get into the debate. Sports guys talk politics. You only get it. On the TalkZone.com and the two guys at a mic show. We will do all that and mucho, mucho mas. First, a little bit of music played by uh, producer extraordinaire David Olson. And then we'll get this particular Wednesday, October, what do we got today, 15th? We need those clocks to change, by the way, David Olson. A little bit of music before I complain about the time change. Thank you very much. The mysterious music of uh, the TalkZone.com. Two guys that a mic. Our lead up again on the other side of the glass over today, helping me out with the show. Producer extraordinaire David Olson. And anytime my uh, co-host, the big dog, Joel Radwanski, is not in, we invite you, the listener. I mean, you can always call up. We are open phone lines all the time. But especially when he's not here, the uh, the seat is open. Actually, we got two seats. We can get two listeners on at the same time, but you can be the co-host of the show. You can go co-pilot. Just remember, your seat cushion can be used as a flotation device. I think both uh, Barack Obama and Mitt Romney probably could have used a seat cushion, if not a seat belt, last night in the up and down that was the townsfolk or townspeople, kind of the uh, open rotunda type of discussion that they had. 888-463-6748. The phone number again, 888 Four, eight. We'll talk some baseball. Detroit Tigers up three. Zilch. Three zip out of the New York Yankees. Yankees look like they are buried dead in under. Tigers are rolling at the right time of the year. We'll talk a little football, too. we got Bears and Lions coming up Monday night. The Bears release, uh, finally. Number one draft choice, Chris Williams. We'll talk about that. Some big college football games coming up this weekend. So we got that on the docket. NHL strike. Little Bulls exhibition basketball. And the uh, any soccer fans out there? Hello, soccer fans! Are you out there somewhere? I'm like on an island unto myself, David Olson. But I have become a huge, huge soccer fan. In fact, last night, while the debates were going on, don't worry, folks, I taped. Watched the debate in Toto the last hour this morning at about 5:30 in the morning. Nice hot cup of Java and Kathy Crowley. By the way, my new uh, crush in the world of politics is on Kathy Crowley. I like her. Like her a lot. I thought she was, she could moderate any speech, any debate for me. She was outstanding. But, um, yeah, I was at a high school soccer game last night. Thoroughly enjoy, you know, and people can say about soccer, and by the way, the reason I brought up soccer is our United States team defeated the, uh, Guatemala team. Three to one. They went on the offensive. My good partner, Joel Radwanski, yesterday, who knows nothing about soccer, but I threw it out to him at the end of the show, scouting report on the Guatemala team, what the United States needs to do. 
And the big dog said, hey, we need to stay on the offensive. Don't play not to lose. He was exactly right. Exactly right. You could have been afraid to lose. It would have been a disaster. U.S. does not make the World Cup if they lose that game. But they stayed on the offensive. So maybe someone from the United States team, possibly a Guatemalan scout, was listening to our show. You never know what the talkzone.com Internet talk. You never know who's listening in. I got a feeling someone from the Guatemala team was listening. Might have picked off a little bit of info that the United States used. At any rate, they followed the big dog's advice. And again, the big dog knows very close to zero about soccer. But they followed his advice and went on to win 3-1. to one. That's the reason I brought up soccer. I was at a high school game last night. And I had the final comment I'll make about soccer. And I love football. Love football. And then people talk about soccer. You know, there's just not enough action. There's not enough scoring. And at times, I can see that. But let me point out this fact to you. Three words. Uh, no. got to think out how. <laughs> Four words for you. I had to count them out. Four words for you to, to, to bend soccer. No. TV time outs. How's that for defense? You, you've been to a football game lately, folks? Been to a pro football game? You watch on TV, not on tape? I mean, it's, it's, it's half football and it's half commercial. At times, you feel like you're watching a little bit of action in between a bunch of commercials. Now, some of the commercials actually can be entertaining. I'll give it to you. But, it's still commercial. It's lack of inactivity. Soccer, soccer, folks, the clock starts at 45 minutes for a half, and unless someone dies out on the field, there's constant action. There's no timeout. Ball goes out of bounds, keep going. Boom, in play right away. Foul, keep going, play. Clock runs. Rarely, rarely do you see a TV, TV or rarely do you see a timeout. Never do you see a TV timeout. It's a beautiful thing. All right, that's my soliloquy for soccer for the day. Thank you very much. Again, the phone line's open here at 888-463-6748. Dial it up. The big dog is out of the studio today. Coach flying solo. Want to hear from you folks out there in the world of sports and definitely talk the political debate on the baseball front, though. The Detroit Tigers knocking off the New York Yankees 2-1. to I did not watch the game. I'll tell you that right up front. But uh, I guess there's not much to... Talk about it except for the brilliance of Justin Verlander, who is rapidly becoming the uh, MVP of the postseason. I mean, all he's got to have is a decent World Series, and he's going to be your, your postseason MVP. But he has a second clutch, brilliant game, shutting out the Yankees into the ninth inning. They finally got a home run. Finally got a home run, but the Detroit Tigers uh, win it 2-1. to one. And I give Joe Girardi, by the way, a lot of credit. A lot of credit. We'll get the sports guys talk politics here uh, in just a second. We'll definitely get to the debates. But I give Joe Girardi a lot of credit because, you know, hey, you, you bench Alex Rodriguez. You put Nicky Swisher on the bench. You know what? Hey, go with the hot hand. Shake things up a little bit. No reason you can't bring A-Rod back as a pinch hitter. You can't play him the next game. The easy thing to do to me is to keep playing, guys. But I think when you're in a, in a big slump, sit him out for a game. It's the same thing with a quarterback. God forbid you ever replace a, a starting quarterback because he's not doing well in a game. Oh, you're going to ruin his confidence. No, not going to ruin it. If, if he's got worth anything at all, you're not going to ruin the guy's confidence. You got 25 players on your baseball roster. You got 53 on a football roster for a reason. Play him. Joe Girardi, good job. You're down 3-0 in the series. 
probably taking some heat, but I give you credit. It didn't work out. I don't know. Again, I didn't watch the game. I haven't seen Chavez's stats. Obviously, he didn't have that great of a hitting game. And I don't even know who took Nick Swisher's spot in right field, but I think it's it's a good move to shake it up. Good move to shake it up. Now, I also didn't see in the ninth inning, and I don't know how many pitches Verlander pitched, but they took Verlander out. Gutsy move. Gutsy move. And again, anybody that watched the game here, uh, you know, paint a better picture for me because I'm speaking, as I typically do, somewhat unintelligently, but instinctual. On the uh, the baseball decision here, Justin Verlander gets taken out in the ninth inning, I think with one or two outs to go. And, and that's even a gutsier decision because the Detroit Tiger closer coming into the postseason, Jose Valverde. Are you kidding me? Completely blown apart. I mean, they have completely lost confidence in him. If you listen to Jose, he hasn't lost confidence in himself. He's ready to get back out there. But after the four-run disastrous give-up in game one on top of a previous series when he gave up a couple of big runs, I mean, Valverde's been miserable, and they don't have confidence in him and his the closer anymore. you got a two-to-one ball game. Two-to-one, and they take Verlander out. Again, I didn't see it, but I need to hear the... Uh, uh, was it too many pitches? Was he tiring? Was it a lefty-righty matchup? Now, I know they brought Phil Coke in, who got the save the day before. And then not working out for the Tigers. They win it 2-1. to one. But uh, coming up with runners on first and second base. Out of the New York Yankee bench, again, perfectly timed by Joe Girardi. Saves him for the right time. Raul Ibanez. Raul, the hero of the previous series. And he's coming up runners on first and second. And he's got that home run magic going. He's got the home run mojo going. And again, I wish I would have seen this moment because it had to be a pretty dramatic moment. The paper that I read in the recap of the game totally overlooked it. I'm going to assume it was a pretty dramatic moment. Ibanez up to bat. Final out. Two runners on base. Already has hit three incredibly dramatic homers. I mean, a home run right there. And Raul Obanez goes from uh, near legend to, uh, you know, capital L, full out legend. That would have been the icing on the cake to an unbelievable postseason. Apparently he grounded up ball game over. But again, without seeing it, just reading the account, pretty gutsy decision by Jimmy Leland to put Phil Coke in and take out the best right now. I think you got to say, and I don't think too many people would argue, the best starting pitcher in all of baseball, Justin Verlander. Any rate. Any rate, the uh, Yankees down 3-0, Tigers on the cusp of winning, and, you know, they say play your best baseball at the right time of the year in the month of October, and that's exactly what the Detroit Tigers are doing. <laughs> you got to play good enough to get in the playoffs, and the Tigers almost didn't. I mean, really, if you think about it, the White Sox would have taken care of business. Last two weeks of the season, what, they have to go, like, 500? All they had to do is finish 500. And the Detroit Tigers don't even get a shot because, remember, there was no whoever won between the Sox and the Tigers, the other team was on the outs. So the Tigers were able to get in partly because they finished strong, partly, but partly because the White Sox, uh, unfortunately, after a great season, just had a two-week collapse at the worst time of the year. But the Detroit Tigers, who are on the cusp of going to the World Series now, whoever they meet, the Cardinals or the Giants, they're going to be the favorite. They're rolling. 
finally living up to their potential. But you look at it, it wasn't like they had a bad month or two. They were really off playing under their potential for almost the entire season. I mean, they had moments in May and moments in June, moments in July, moments in August when you thought, oh, here come the Tigers, they're going to start to play, and then they go back to mediocrity. They really struggled. And again, at the end of the year, they, I don't even know, can you say caught fire? I have to go back and look at the record. They played good. I don't recall like a 12 out of 13 streak. I got a lot of sports info going on in my head right now, and there's not a lot of open brainiology area to use, so I could be mistaken, but I don't recall them getting that hot. They played well. The Sox collapsed. The Tigers get in. The point I'm trying to make is here's a Detroit Tiger team that really, again, not for a month or two, but really for the majority, if not almost the entire regular season, played you know pretty good baseball. Pretty good. That's it. And now because they're in and they get hot at the right time, and they're obviously a talented team, they're the favorite to win the World Series. It's interesting how it could work out, and you can ditto the 2011 World Series champions, the St. Louis Cardinals, almost the exact same thing, and it could be the Cardinals they meet again. Kyle Loesch, Matt Kane, game three. This has got the uh, – the. I'd be surprised if anybody goes, like, you know, on a streak here and wins it 4-1, even 4-2. I'm looking at a game seven. Now, let's see. Today's game – so if it goes game seven, we've probably got these same two pitchers. So it could be Loesch going up against Kane. Obviously, when you hit Game 7, managers will use any starting pitcher, whatever they need to get outs, but it will probably be the same two guys tonight. If it goes 7, like I think it will, you might see these same two guys back at it again. All right, little baseball talk. When we come back after the break, folks, little sports guy talk politics, did you watch the debate? I always love to hear the sports fans take on politics. I know there's some of you out there that don't like to get into the political spectrum. I apologize, but we got to sneak it in with a little sports fence. Sports guys talk politics when we come back. David Olson, producer extraordinaire, our political expert, will join in the conversation. 888-463-6748, the phone number, 888-463-6748, the phone number back in one minute and 12 seconds. We're on a tight schedule. Welcome back. Two guys in a mic show. David Olson, check the volume on uh, the voice as the vocal cords starting to wear down here in a midweek Wednesday. Thank you very much. 888-463-6748. The phone number, debate number two, or if you count the vice presidential one, debate number three yesterday. And I think the 
overall poll, they break it down in all kinds of specificity, but the overall poll was Obama winning, quote-unquote, whatever winning a debate means, 46% to 39%. But David Olson, uh, after uh, a disastrous and still mysterious, defunctual performance by Barack Obama. I don't know if defunctual is a word, but it clearly applies to Barack Obama's performance in uh, debate number one. He was much, much better last night. In fact, I think uh, from the Democratic and liberal standpoint, that's the Barack Obama that they wanted to see, no? Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. He was lively, uh, he was personable, and he had his facts straight. There were none of the ums and the ahs looking down at the floor, the, you know, uh, uncertain terms, you know, what he, he, he was very sure of what he was saying, and he was very, he was very presidential. That was the amazing thing in debate number one. I mean, they got all these coaches and practice. These guys are so experienced at it. A simple thing, you know, maybe, what's the expression? You can't see the trees through the forest. You know, the average person like us can catch it right away. Maybe they're so lost in all the minutiae they forget something like that. But just in debate number one where Romney was talking, Obama's lack of eye contact. It just showed a lack of confidence and, and rudeness, quite frankly. Yeah, and you could tell, you could tell it, it, they worked on that with them because when they did the split screen, he was eyes were on him the entire time. Yeah, the entire time. Yeah, well, he didn't have that stupid pad of paper. There was no podium, right? They were just sitting on a stool. Yeah, they were just sitting on a stool. Yeah, yeah. sitting on a dock of the stool. Um, speaking of stool. What about Mitt Romney's comments? <laughs> That's a little unfair. But uh, Romney was okay. Not as good as debate number one. But I did think he came back, came out sometimes looking like the, the angry old man. He did. He did. He um, condescending is the word I would use. Um, and uh, particularly when he was challenging uh, Candy Crowley on the rules of the debate and the time he had to speak and everything like that. It just it, that was uh, th- those are not good moments for him. Mm-hmm. Little ticky tacky at times. There were uh, especially early. I know the one time when he challenged it, I thought he was right because Obama went first, and then the, you know Romney should be the one to respond last because on the first question, I think Romney went first and Obama got to. So he was right on it, but the way he went about it, it didn't come across, didn't come across very well. He's getting a little, a little flack apparently from the female engendrage, which has always been a problem. But I guess after debate number one, he closed, closed that gap, pardon the expression, with the, uh, the female fandom out there. But in his defense, it was interesting. He was trying to defend and show how strong he is in female rights, but by doing it, True colors showed through a little bit, and just some of the terminology turned off some of the females out there. Interesting. Yeah, exactly. And he also admitted to practicing affirmative action. Safe affirmative action? Without protection? He he went out of his way to hire women specifically. That's affirmative action. Oh, interesting. Ah, I don't know. That's a stretch. It is. It is. You're it saying is. that's a stretch, or you're saying that's affirmative action. That's that's affirmative action. It is a stretch, though. I see where you're going with that. Now, I haven't heard any analysts pop on that, but I'm, I'm, I'm just saying that's. I mean, that's clear, clearly. If you're going, if it's like, oh, I need to get some women in here. I'm just going to hire women to fill roles in this cabinet. That's mm-hmm. well, again, I will, you know, be in the very odd position of defending Mitt Romney. He was saying it in his 
days as the governor of Massachusetts, he realized there was not enough females in, in the administration and positions of power and in, in politics in the cabinet in the uh, fine state of Massachusetts. By the way, Massachusetts leaning towards Obama, correct? Uh, yeah, and I think pretty yeah. heavily. And you know that hasn't been brought up much. It's kind of interesting. I mean, I know it's a liberal state, but still, if he did that great a job in Massachusetts, why is the state of Massachusetts? I don't bring here anybody bringing it up. It just seems kind of odd to me that he's winning Massachusetts that easily. Well, he, but 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 that but that's the thing. Um, he didn't do a great job in Massachusetts. He didn't do a bad job in Massachusetts. It was just kind of not. Not impressive. Not if, but not if you listen to him speak. He of constantly course. refers to his Massachusetts days as great success. Yeah, but, they, they, but they, the numbers and the statistics of his time at governor don't really hold up to that. I mean, they were, they were like 47th in job creation. Uh, yeah, he got the health care thing through, but that was more the Democrats pushing for it, and he signed off on it just for political posturing. It's... Uh, you know, I'm not saying he was by any stretch of the means he was a bad governor, but it's not like, oh, look what he did, and he turned this whole state around, and you know, you gotta, you know, and he's just moving to the next level. It was, he was more or less a stepping stone to the presidency. Eight 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 four six three six seven four eight. You're out there listening, little sports guys. Talk politics, the debate from last night. Feel free to join us. Love to hear from you. Triple eight four six three sixty seven forty eight. The phone number Romney. Uh, versus Barack Obama. Pretty good theater in a different setting yesterday. I thought it was interesting. A topic that had not been brought up came to the forefront, big, uh, big dog, uh, David, and that is the gun control and gun legislation. And it is almost like, I mean, they both had the politically correct response, but nobody's willing to stand up to the NRA, the National Rifle Association, and basically because they're so powerful politically. And I, you know, again, I'll mention that soccer game I was at yesterday. Got into a political debate with a buddy of mine, and his, one of his things was, "Hey, Obama promised to cut down on the, you know, to make guns illegal and get cut down on the gun legislation, and he didn't get it done." And I, I kind of agreed with them, but I think the big reason is uh, any politician is too afraid to get really strict on gun control because you got that powerful lobby, the NRA, and you go against them. You might not get elected again, which really brings up one of the biggest problems in politics as a whole. Are these guys doing what's best for the country, for their state, for their community, whatever they happen to be representing? Or are they worried about getting elected? And those two things come into conflict sometimes. So maybe David Olson, uh, we've talked about this before, but the political service should be a service. You serve for four years. You know, cut down on the salaries a little bit. Make it more of a service-oriented thing. You only serve for four years. Then you don't have to worry about getting reelected. And it would take the politics out of it. We need more more politicians. I'm sorry. We need more non-politicians in politics. Now, usually I say we need, you know, some good business people to go into politics. And actually, I'll still say that. But Mitt Romney would kind of fit that bill, but he's not. He's still pretty political big. Right from the upbringing of his father, of course, George Romney. Well, don't forget, he's also, you know, he was successful in the private sector because he failed at politics early in his career. He went after Ted Kennedy's seat in the early 90s and lost, and that's when he, after... Wait, 
Did he lose to Ted Kennedy or just didn't run against him? No, no, he lost to Ted Kennedy. He went after Ted Kennedy's uh, Senate seat. In, in Massachusetts. The, in Massachusetts okay. in the early 1990s. Interesting. After that, that's when he got into Bain Capital. Why has that not been brought up more? If, if, his, if he did such a great job in Massachusetts, why did he get crushed? I know the power well, of the Kennedys. Well, he did good because he ran against Ted Kennedy. Yeah, that's still, why he got crushed. If he did that, great. He fairly often refers back to his Massachusetts days. I mean, if you're a average, non-informed viewer, you're, you're thinking, boy, everything was hunky-dory in Massachusetts. Yeah, I think the uh, Obama camp needs to bring that out a little bit more. It was interesting, though. You saw, Now, when I mentioned Kathy Crowley, my new female crush in the world of politics, you kind of shook her. You did not have the same positive reaction. I thought she was the best moderator I've seen in many a years. Oh no no no! I thought I thought she was fine, but when you when you say crush, it's like Ugh, you know. Uh. Well, I understand she's, you know, we're not talking uh, Melody Griffith here. The but Melody, the famous weatherman, and you know. Oh, by the way, who was it? There was somebody I was watching. I was on a treadmill. Morning talk was it CNN or one of the shows? But this girl was unbelievably beautiful and. And had stage presence and intelligence, a clear up-and-comer. And And the name was similar to Aaron Andrews, but it wasn't quite like that. Boy, was she good. Dana? Dana something? If you you tell me you don't know what network, though. ah, I can't remember. I meant to bring it up on the show. It was like a couple of weeks ago. I was on the treadmill. I mean... uh, Oh, um, it's with another guy who looks a little bit like Brett Baer, but he's not Brett Baer. They're on in the morning, and and the show is named after the two of them. Ah, I can't think of it. But anyhow, she was really, really good and unbelievably attractive. Thank you very much. But, yeah, I thought Kathy Crowley did a tremendous job. Tremendous job. She stepped in where she needed to step in, let them go when they needed to let go, and put the Mitt and Barack when they needed to in their place. Thought it was good. Thought it was good. Questions were good. A lot of nervous people asking the question. I'd be pretty nervous, too. You know, you're asking a question, and I'm sure the people are smart enough to realize while they're in that room, I don't know how many millions of people are watching them. None of these people are being used to being in front of the microphone or the TV. One lady forgot uh, she had to, she was reading without notes, and then she forgot her point and had to dig deep into the pocket and go to the uh, go to the notes, but most of them I thought were very good. Good questions from the townsfolk. Yeah, is it Aaron Burnett? No, but she's on CNN, right? I believe so. Yeah. yeah, she's pretty good. She's on at night now. They've given her a prime position. Yeah, Aaron Burnett, pretty good. Pretty good. Her, you know, arrow pointing way up for an Aaron Burnett. I like her a, a lot. Yeah, it's a it's a morning show. The two of them. It's not Soldado O'Brien. Huh? Soldado O'Brien? No. Yeah, that might be. Who's she's, the... on, she's on CNN. She's uh... Who's the female host with O'Brien? No, no, no that's, her, that's her name. Soldado O'Brien. No, she's the no, female. No, 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 not Soldado O'Brien. I thought you were talking about a name and then, then O'Brien. Tell you what, we'll take a quick break, see if we can get that. Uh, again, sports guys, talk politics, your thoughts on the debate. We're going to bring up a little football, too. And... Um, NHL strike, little Lance Armstrong announcement as well. 888-463-6748. Two guys at a mic, TalkZone.com. The Big Dog, my co-host, out today. The co-pilot seat is open. Feel free to um, 
Dial it up, hop in, strap yourself in. Two guys in a mic show, TalkZone.com, D. Olson, producer extraordinaire, and the coach with you right up until 11 o'clock. Phone lines open, 888 David Olson, other thoughts on the debate? I guess the overall poll showed Obama winning, what, 46 to 39, not by any means a landslide. Call it a slight victory. Is it enough, pardon the expression, to make it move? Did it move last night? Pardon the expression. Uh, is it enough to make a move? That remains to be seen, but it's going to certainly stop the bleeding. Yeah. Yeah, the stop the bleeding, I think, is a given. But you are exactly correct. The big question is, is it going to uh, change the momentum? And, and, boy, and David, you nailed it, too, from a Democratic and liberal standpoint, which both of us uh, definitively are. We don't hide that. You know, watching him last night, it was great. It was good to get the old Obama back. But part of us like, wow. It just emphasizes how much he screwed up in debate number one. What the hell happened on debate number one? That was the big problem. We never figured that. I guess it was just their strategy, a incorrect strategy to remain low-key and very unconfrontational. Well, I mean, if you if you read the transcripts or even listen to it on the radio, I guess Obama did fine. It was just yep. the way he came off on yep. television, and that's... And that, that's a big, 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 big thing. Yeah, just ask Richard Nixon. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And a lot of people compared to that. It was like, you know, Nixon moment. It's like, yeah. you know, Obama didn't do that bad but in his answers and everything like that, but just his demeanor and his presence were terrible, and it dragged whatever good things he said down. Mm-hmm. Yeah, with the head down, writing the note, not even having the respect to look your uh, – opponent and the other person talking to you. I mean, just basic stuff like that. Basic stuff. The other uh, part that people were mad about, though, is they didn't, you know, uh, Mitt Romney was changing his positions a lot from when he was debating, in particular, to get the Republican nomination. 
and Obama never challenged him on that, never came after him. And if he did, it was in a very low-key, unconfrontational way. That changed clearly in, in, in debate number two. I'm surprised, David Olson, that in some of the commercials, I thought for sure when I was watching the Republican debates, and I saw these guys lambasting each other, and, I mean, there were some serious, it got pretty ugly. We forget now because that's all in the past, and, you know, they're all supporting each other now, sort of. <laughs> but um, they were ripping on each other. I mean, they were, they were ripping. I like Mitt Romney, by the way. I like him the best of the Republican candidates. So I'm not a, you know, rip Mitt Romney hater. He was the best of the book. But meanwhile, some of these guys just, you know, completely ripped on Mitt Romney. I'm surprised in the commercials. They don't just take bits of a Rick Santorum or bits of Newt Gingrich or bits of Ron Paul. Their own talking about their own. be pretty powerful. I haven't done that. If any marketing consultants from the Obama administration would like to uh, call me, feel free to do so. You can do it on air at 888-463-6748. Any uh, major things coming out um, besides that, David, from the debate? A few confrontations. The Libya thing was probably the most uh, contentious. You like when Obama? Well, yeah, that I mean that he walked. Obama walked out with his chin out, and uh, Romney took a swing and missed. And I thought Obama's follow up was perfect on that. Mm-hmm. Couldn't have done it any better. I mean, Romney had a real chance to nail him to the wall, and he didn't do it hard enough. He really yeah. didn't. Well, the big, the big quote unquote mistake, if you want to make it, uh, if you want to say that, was when he said, you know, that Barack Obama never called it a terrorist act. And he started questioning Barack. I mean, he's looking right at you, right? You're saying you called it a terrorist? You're saying you questioned that. And Barack Obama goes, just ask Kathy Crowley. It, it, yeah. It, it, no, he said, check the transcripts. Yeah. Check the transcripts. And you go back, and it's like, yeah, he yeah. did. I mean. I now, mean, it's they, a little shady because he called it a terrorist act, but then they clearly proceeded to imply that well, it was well, based. Well, yeah. I mean, but it, it, I mean, he was specifically talking about the attacks in Benghazi. The entire speech was about the attacks in Benghazi, and he did use the phrase "these acts of terror." So, I mean, yeah. But they also let, let's not kid. It was not handled the best. It went on way too long, including the day of when they were implying. And maybe that's what the intelligence told him at the time. What does Barack Obama know? Yeah, but even if it, even even. Even the day of, they said, based on the information we have at this time, right. we are still investigating. Right. So I guess there are your qualifiers there, right? But I guess the real question then is: the Republicans should find out is that you got to dig deep. But if there's really a scandal, you got to find out. You got to you got to dig below the dirt a little bit, which you know nobody has. It's the unspoken thing, unless I'm missing something, David. Nobody has questioned. Did the intelligence actually tell them? Hey, it wasn't. There wasn't that much people around it. This was a coordinated attack. Were they told that and continue to tell the American people until later? It wouldn't seem like that'd be that hard to find out. But if that's the case, then you got a case. But what the Democrats are saying, and again, it seems like a basic thing, but it's only me. I'm the only one. And sports guys talk politics. On the semi-dysfunctional two guys at a mic show at TalkZone.com that's getting to the real brunt of the action. Did the intelligence to Barack Obama inform him that it was probably a terrorist act early, day one, day two, and did they continue to tell the American public no? It was based on the disruption from the, the video. 
that we saw in so many other instances in the Middle East. Eh, simple as that. If it is, then they got a point. If it's not, then one point for Barack Obama. Get to the middle of it. Dig deep. 888-463-6748. I'm telling you, it's, it's like people can't dig. You know, they beat around the bush, but you got to grab it. you got to get to the testicles of the matter, grab a hold, firm grip, and, and you know, crunch a little bit, and the truth has got to come out. It's like, you know, I was the only one. Nobody. Nobody got to the crux. Completely different issue here. But that Monday night football replacement referee call, the touchdown of the end zone. Everybody, you know, hit on the side, boom, 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 back and forth. They got close. Arguments both. Wait, nobody hit the key point. What does the rule say on possession? If the guy catches the ball, what is the definition of simultaneous? Both guys with their hands on the ball? One guy's got 85% possession. The other guy's sticking his hands out. Yes, his hands are on the ball. But he's only got maybe 15% possession if you want to split up in percentages. Is the rule strictly simultaneous? Hands on the ball? Well, then the referee got it right. Because the guy did. When they came down to the ground, the guy had his hands on the ball. But if it's not, if it's if clear possession is is clear possession, 85%, even though the guy's got the hands on the ball, no, it should have been an interception, and that's the that it's as simple as that. But nobody got down to that except me. I don't want to brag or anything. But I'm bragging. Talkzone.com, two guys at a mic. Meat and potatoes time, folks. Squeeze tight. Answer comes out. Sorry. Tell me I'm wrong. 888-463-6748. Plenty of people will, I'm sure. 888-463-6748. All right. We'll take a quick break and then uh, move on from the debaters. Anybody wants to talk debate, so uh, we're right here for you. Sports guys talk politics, always part of the vernacular, the two guys in a mic show. 888-463-6748. When we come back, a little uh, NFL talk. Also get into uh, Lance Armstrong, a little exhibition basketball the NHL hockey strike and a big win for the United States soccer team. Back in a minute, Welcome back, folks. Welcome back. Two guys in a mic show, TalkZone.com. The big dog out and about today. He'll be back in tomorrow, by the way. Sadly, very sadly. I mean, the reason I'm missing it is much, much more sad. But sadly, I will not be here for a Friday show, so I'm going to miss Football Friday. But hopefully uh, the big dog and D. Olsen will 
take the train down. It should be a very exciting football Friday. Great slate of college football NFL games coming up. We'll preview a little bit the Monday night game with the Lions and the Bears. Play beat the Schmoes, but I will be, uh, for some reason, funerals are always at 10 o'clock, David. I'm finding that out. We need to talk to the funeral directors of the Chicago area and let them know, hey, guys, two guys in a mic. TalkZone.com, 10 to 11. Monday through Friday, give me a breaker. Could you, you know, slide it up a little bit, move it a little, little bit back? If any funeral directors are out there, our rating show, we are, uh, you know, we're not high up there on the ratings, but when it comes to people attending funerals or the people in the funeral business, and God bless them, they do a wonderful job, we have a pretty strong listening audience. Breastfeeding moms, our number one listening audience, have been, always will be. Overnight security guards, probably number two, but we're big. And then uh, what do we say? Under kids under the age of eight, seniors, assisted living home, you know, maybe over the age of 75. I don't want to say we're dominant, but we're strong. <laughs> so right now, David, it's just the, uh, unfortunately, it's that gap between age eight and 75, which we're struggling on. But, you know, you gotta you got to take any positive you can. And we appreciate all the 75-year-olds over there uh, listening to the program. Turn up your hearing aids, huh? What? And all the eight and unders out there because, uh, hey, that's the youth of America that we're influencing. We're proud to do so. All right. 888-463-6748 football. Uh, by the way, i got to read this to you. I don't know if you're hungry right now. We're not lunches. Not that far away. But um, I read this. I just want to read some of the top food offerings. At different football stadiums. You gotta, you gotta have a strong stomach just to listen to this stuff, but some of it awfully good. Some of it like disgusting. Alright, how about, uh, in New Orleans at Saints games, the alligator sausage polo boy. French fries on it, coleslaw, red peppers, in between a bun, fried alligator meat. With the special sauce. Alligator is really it's good. It's not bad. It's it's sort of like chicken. Yeah. It's not bad. How about at the Oakland Raiders Stadium, the Carnitas Bomber Sandwich, braised pork, pepper jack cheese, pico de gallo sauce, lettuce, jalapeno peppers, chipotle aioli. That's that nice creamy chipotle stuff. Awfully good. On a ciabatta roll. I don't know what a ciabatta roll is, but that sounds awfully good. Ciabatta. God bless you. It's a ciabatta. ciabatta roll, yeah. Thank you. How about at Houston Oilers Stadium? And folks, you've, you've been to a uh, particular venue, baseball, football, that you you got an item that you think might match up with some of these, feel free to call in. We love talking food almost as much as we love talking sports. 888-463-6748. Houston, home of the Texans, the Chop Baker Sandwich. Oh, I'm sorry, it's not a sandwich. The Chop Baker. It's a baked potato stuffed with beef brisket. Chopped beef brisket, bacon, cheddar cheese, sour cream, and then over it, a little barbecue sauce. I'm a huge baked potato fan. That's outstanding. A little chopped beef brisket right inside the baked potato. A little bacon cheddar, awfully good. Philadelphia Eagles, how about the Fat Daryl? <laughs> the Fat Daryl, concocted at Rutgers University. This sandwich has been pulled up to the big leagues at the link. What do they call Philadelphia's field? Is it Lincoln Memorial or Lincoln? Nickname the link. All right, here we go. Chicken fingers, 
French fries, mozzarella sticks, and marinara sauce inside a, a sandwich. Eh, that's not that great. The Lambo Heap. The Lambo Heap. We all know what the Lambo Leap is. And by the way, I did witness a high school football team over the weekend, Big uh, David Olson, where after they won the game, you know, the players line up and shake hands. And then they typically run and either huddle up or more and more now the players will sprint to their fans' cheering section. And I don't know if it's the marching band playing the fight song. They'll raise their helmets, maybe high-five with a few of the fans, and then they'll go to the middle of the field and meet with their coach. Well, this particular team, after the handshake, sprinted over to the bleacher section, and they all did the Lambo leap, jumping over the fence. Kind of cool. Kind of dangerous when 53 guys are doing it, but kind of cool. Anyhow, the Lambo heap, a one-pound barbecue bacon curd burger. Now, that right there is part disgusting and part, ooh, awfully good. I think there's a little juice coming off of that. One pound, folks, bacon curd burger. We're not done yet. Topped with fried onion strings. So you're putting the fried onion rings on it. Anyone who can eat the Lambo heap, again, the one-pound bacon barbecue, bacon curd burger, with a bunch of fried onion strings on top of it. Anyone who can eat the Lambo heap plus an order of waffle fries and a milkshake, if you if you can down all that without throwing up, you get a T-shirt that says, I survived the Lambo heap. Seattle, the Pike Place Market Dog, a hot dog covered in creamy mac and cheese. David is grimacing over there. I don't know. Hot dog and mac and cheese, quality combo. Not done yet. Here's the kicker. Also inside it is Tim's Mesquite Barbecued Potato Chips. So a hot dog, mac and cheese, then the crunchy barbecued potato chips. That's unbelievable. It's a phenomenal combo. You might need a defibrillator after eating that, but a phenomenal combo. The Porkalopolis. We're not done yet, folks. Again, if you got a uh, item you've tasted out there that belongs in the same breath as these cholesterol digging, but nevertheless potentially delicious Food items, give us a call, 888-463-6748. The Pork, Porkopolis in Cincinnati. The folks at Paul Brown Stadium unveiled this new sandwich last season and took the level of the pig that you can eat on a bread to a new level. Sliced pork loin, sliced black forest ham, split grilled metwurst. What is metwurst? This type of sausage? Must be. Longhorn cheese. Remember, this is all on a sandwich. Sliced pickle and spicy mustard serve on a panini hoagie bun. So you got a little pork, a little ham, a little sausage, a little cheese, pickle, a little spicy mustard on a panini hoagie bun. It's a beautiful thing. Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh, the Primanti Brothers Capitoli and Cheese Sandwich. You fill up, you fill up at Heinz on this heap of Capicola? What is Capicola? I don't even know. Capicola, provolone cheese, french fries, coleslaw, and tomatoes and Italian bread. Forget about that one. How about the West Coast offense dog in Kansas City? They call this the West Coaster. A hot dog with pepper jack cheese, pulled chicken. I love this one. Little cheese, pulled chicken on top of the hot dog, guacamole, pico de gallo, black bean and corn salsa, and ranch sour cream. Two corrections. It's guacamole and pico de gallo. I said guacamole. You said guacamole. Believe me. 
I know what guacamole is. I may have mispronounced just, it, but just saying, it's just one saying. of my favorite. Pico de gallo, that's how it's pronounced? Pico de gallo. Pico de gallo. Pico de gallo. I love pico de gallo. Yes. It's kind of like a, it's, it's a tomato salsa, right? Kind of. Excellent. Excellent. Spicy, too. Very spicy. Yeah. But the hot dog with pulled chicken on it. Just that concept. Smothered in jack cheese and guacamole. And then finally, I don't know, the other one's dessert. We're not even going to count dessert. Anyhow, just some items you might be able to get from uh, some of your favorite football fields as you travel around the country. 888-463-6748. Bears do meet up with the Lions on Monday night. And uh, Bear fans, I would ask you out there the uh, the fact that the Lions came back and knocked off Philadelphia. A lot of momentum now for Detroit. How much harder? It's at home, at Soldier Field, Bears off a bye week, and we've seen... The effects of a bye week, uh, quite frankly, more often it's been negative than it's been positive. But I think, if I remember correctly, last year off the bye week, we turned the table a little bit. I could be wrong, but I think we won coming off a of bye week last week. I remember under Dave Wanstead and uh, some of our previous coaches, you know, the bye week would be a disaster. Even under Lovey Smith, there's been many years, you know, where the papers are talking about, the media talking about, two weeks to prepare. You know, we're rested, we're relaxed, we've had two weeks to scout and prepare, and they come out and play some of their worst games. You're better off playing on a Sunday. But at any rate, the question I would ask is how much tougher the game is to win now that the Lions knocked off Philadelphia, now that they got a little momentum going, especially the, the way they won it, coming back from 10 down in the final three minutes to win it in overtime. You know, there are probably some people out there that think, oh, maybe, you know, the, the fact that the Lions won, they're not going to be as desperate. There could be a minority opinion out there that will think oh, maybe it'll help the Bears. But I, I think all of a sudden the Detroit Lions, who were doubting themselves, underachievers, disappointed, they lose that game. I'm not saying they're falling apart, but there starts to be a little separation at the seams, a little dissension. You start to get a little lack of confidence in your coach. I like Jimmy Schwartz. Not too many Chicago people do. Not too many national people do. I kind of like him. Not sure why, but I kind of like them. Um, you know, they, they lose that game and things start to come apart at the scene, but they didn't. They came back and I think it's going to make, uh, the Bears game on Monday. A, it's going to make it a much better game. Just from media buildup and excitement. B, I think, uh, you know, for the actual game, it's going to make it much better because the Lions now are going to be on a roll, going to be motivated. The Bears, I would think, best bring their A game. I expect a hell of a game. We've had some Monday night duds, but I think this one, I would be very surprised if the Detroit Lions blow out the Bears. I'd be very surprised if the Bears pick apart the Lions. I mean, this could be, and again, I could be completely wrong, but my predilection, my prediction would be it's going to be a great game. Great, entertaining, competitive, right down to the final possession, might even go into overtime. That's my early prediction. Chris Williams, by the way, Bear fans out there, uh, Chris Williams, finally, Finally has been released. Hopefully he'll catch on with another team. But, boy, talk about a number one draft choice that just never quite got it done. And remember, that was at the time, you know, you hate to go back into bad uh, old history here and sour grapes and everything, but at the time people were talking about this is a crucial pick for Jerry Angelo. Had a couple duds in a row. He has to hit. I forget, we missed on a couple other offensive linemen, too. Names escape me right now. So they go for another offensive lineman, and there were guys that were injured, too. They had picked first round. Well, one of them is the guy, Mark Colombo. 
would be one. I think there was another. So at the time, it was like, all right, you know, this guy, we're picking another offensive lineman. He better be good. And everybody told us this guy's can't miss. But he did have the minor injuries. Well, for whatever reason, the can't miss missed. Played a little bit, but he never really kicked in, never made it. I don't know if it was the adjustment to Mike Tice. I don't know if it was a good fit. Wish Chris Williams the best. Sounds like a nice guy, but just never quite hit, never quite fit with the Chicago Bears. One of the reasons, unfortunately, Jerry Angelo uh, not with the beloved Bear anymore. Uh, interestingly, too, they picked up, I saw this just as an addendum, and I'm a big fan of the addendums. I like to have at least sort of like my vitamins and pills that I take every day. I prefer, if possible, to have like three or four addendums each and every day. So one addendum was the bull, the Bears have picked up Zach Bowman. Defensive back, fifth down back, special teams player. Kick return. I forgot about Zach Bowman. And I'm, I'm going to predict, you know, it was a little 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 footnote in the paper today. I'm going to predict before the season's been over that does Zach Bowman becomes more than a footnote. He was a hell of a player. Not talking all pro. Not saying he's, uh, you know, he's not Charles Tillman. Let's not get carried away. But Zach Bowman was a quality fifth down back. I didn't know he was still available. Apparently the Minnesota Vikings had caught him and, uh, he was available. Bears pick him up over a couple other guys. So welcome back to the ball club, Zach Bowman. College football over the weekend, uh, Alabama at Tennessee. See if the Tennessee fans can will their team to a potential upset. Game of the weekend is going to be Oregon at Arizona State. Listener to the program, Glenview Jack. Big Arizona State fan, the Sun Devils have been, I hate when they use the word not relevant. Because that's like, it's an insult to the past, you know, well, Notre Dame is finally relevant again. Well, you know, they were relevant the last 10 years. The guys were out there busting their butt, playing in front of a national audience and crazed Notre Dame fan. They were relevant. I hate, you know, they're relevant again. So the, what, the players last year was completely irrelevant? No, they put their effort out there. They just, or a top 10 team, not to make a big deal of it. But uh, Arizona State, the Sun Devil, after many, many a year out of the national picture, are getting close to that point they are, quote-unquote, getting relevant again, and Oregon, the number two team in the country, comes to visit. That could be a heck of a ballgame. That could be a heck of a ballgame. And David Olson, finally, real quick, Lance Armstrong stepping down as the chief administrator, the director of Livestrong. And you said that was uh, inevitable. I'm not sure I agree with you, but that was your thought. Yeah, yeah, because uh, because he stopped fighting the charges against him. In a lot of people's minds, it is an admission of guilt. Uh, so, in order to uh, keep the organization going strong, removing himself from the head position is the right move to do. But he did say he's going to continue working with the charity. Okay, he's just not going to run it. All right. Well, I'm glad to hear that part. I hate to see him drop out. I'm just wondering. And I hear what you're saying. If he would have taken the aspect, look, look, I still proclaim my innocence. I'm not fighting it anymore. I don't want to talk about that anymore. People can come to their own conclusion. But something wonderful that came out of the cycling career is this Live Strong charity that I feel so strongly about, and I will continue to work for them, irregardless of what people think about my bicycling career. If he would have come out with that, what reaction? You think there would have been some negativity? Lack of legitimacy? It's it's difficult to say. It's difficult to say. Okay. Uh, just because this, it, this it, to me, it seems like this has been going on an awful, awful long time. Question. Did I know they're not together enough, but did Cheryl Crow know all along? 
Uh, that's a good question. I am not sure. Thank you. We specialize in a- asking the good questions here. We don't answer. Very rarely do we get conclusion, but we do uh, we do enjoy asking them. All right. Uh, we enjoy the fact that you were able to uh, listen to the program. We much, much appreciate your listenership out there, folks. We'll do it again tomorrow. Big Dog will be back in the studio. We'll start previewing some of the football games and maybe, maybe, what do we got? Um, CC Sabathia going tonight? Sabathia against, who's pitching for the uh, Detroit? Oh, Matt Scherzer, who pitched very well. So we could be talking about the Detroit Tigers in a four-game sweep. I got a feeling CC Sabathia is going to give the Yankees just a little bit of life. We'll see what lineup Joe Girardi puts out there. All right, thanks for listening, everybody. We'll do it tomorrow again at 10 o'clock. Have an outstanding day. And don't forget, 10 tomorrow. Please don't be late. Promptness is a virtue.